That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them, them named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, A man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back, saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Sinclair Ferguson said that the reality of faith is simple and the assurance of faith is complex. I don't know if you're struck by this. I am regularly when I study the scriptures. That it, there's a simplicity to it. But there's a complexity to it as well. It's simple, perhaps, to say God exists and is for me. That the incarnation and work of Jesus prove that he's for me. And yet understanding that, practicing it, integrating it in our, with our emotions and our faith and our intellect and our words and our deeds, integrating those things, not so, not so simple, far more complex. We've spent a number of weeks looking at the questions people ask Jesus and by faith attempting to hear his voice and see his face and learn from him, learn about his character and his humanity. Now we're turning to the resurrection scriptures where Jesus asks his followers questions. And I'm struck by the resurrection stories being profound, but not nearly as uh, large as the miraculous things Jesus does in his life. Here, Jesus is reflecting a little bit on the, the feeding of the 5,000 for sure, and perhaps the feeding of the 4,000 as well. These incredibly large miracles designed to help us understand that the kingdom of God is at hand and we repent and receive new life in Christ. 
Here's the risen Christ. That work is completed. They understand that he's Savior. And so what's the one miracle in this particular text? Vanishing, which is a cool power that he had for sure. But the, the movement, the supernatural things that happen with Christ after his resurrection are incredibly subtle compared to the ones before his resurrection. And the reason is he was handing over the keys to the disciples and then by extension to us. These moves of spiritual family that we make, proclaiming the gospel, praising together, asking for God's help, telling our neighbors about Christ. These are the works of the church that are given to us. And so in the resurrection accounts, you'll see a lot of walking on Jesus' part. You'll see a lot of eating together. There are miraculous things that happen. Jesus does not seem very interested in doors, if you've studied the resurrection narrative. It's not totally clear what's happening there. But the weight now of proclaiming the gospel to our own hearts and to our neighbors is now on us. And this story has a different feel. And I think, as I studied it, I think what Luke is doing is reflecting the disorientedness of Cleopas as he related the story to Luke. So this is the Resurrection Sunday. And Mary's the first witness, and Cleopas references that. And then he is the first one that receives an embodied instruction about how the entire Old Testament was pointing to Christ. And I, I think the story reflects that. I mean, there are a number of questions, right? We don't even know who the second person is for sure. And when did he appear to Simon? You see Cleopas saying, and he appeared to Simon. But you go back in the text, like, did he? Or did he not? Is he confusing an angel with Jesus? There are things that we don't know. And especially, what did Jesus say? Like, we understand that he took the entire Old Testament and explained it in light of himself on this seven-mile walk. Right? So, let's say they were walking pretty slow. We'll call it two hours. Well, that's a medium speed. But they say they walked for two hours and Jesus explained the whole Old Testament in light of himself. I'd really like to know a few more words about this, which is why we have the rest of the New Testament. Mary is the first witness of the resurrection and Cleopas is the first one to receive embodied instruction about Jesus in light of the Old Testament and the Old Testament and how it points to Christ. But he didn't recognize Jesus as they were walking together. And I wonder if when Jesus asked the question, what things? You think there's a glimmer in his eye? Like, how are they going to explain me to me? I mean, that'd be fun, right? And Cleopas, I think, does a pretty good job recognizing Jesus as a prophet. Jesus taught and applied that teaching with authority. And I think prophecy is one of those, weird, one of those words that often makes us look odd to the outside world. And what's odd about it is not the things we is not as much the things that we believe about the end times. So in Mark chapter 13, Jesus talks about both the destruction of Jerusalem and the fact that he's going to return. It's a bananas chapter. If you feel like reading something weird this week, go straight to Mark 13. But the reason he was described as a prophet is not because of sections like that in scripture. The reason he was described as a prophet is how he taught so clearly in Matthew 5 and 6 and 7 about prayer, about Sexuality, about words, about greed, about our temptations to be so judgmental. And people were moved because they understood fully, okay, the life of faith means I'm integrated as a follower of Christ and find freedom in obeying him. What sets us apart is not what we believe about the end times, though. That's interesting stuff. 
What sets us apart is when we're joyful, filled, judgmental, less, that's a terrible word. We're not judgmental and still convicted about the things of Christ. That's what actually sets us apart. And that's what Jesus taught as a prophet. Our obedience and joy are far more important than our eschatology. Though eschatology is pretty interesting. I have a whole bunch of books on it that maybe you would like. Jesus was called a prophet because of his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. More so than his teachings on those things. But, was Jesus just a prophet? Was, he, was that his only role was to speak truth and teach with clarity? No. His role was also to operate as a priest, as the priest. The threefold, have you ever heard of the threefold offices of Christ? This is part of the reason Jesus asks, What do you know, Cleopas? I know that Jesus is a prophet. He taught and spoke with authority about the integrated with God life. Is that all there is? No. He's not only a prophet. He's also the priest. The whole book of Hebrews is devoted to helping us understand this. He stands in between a holy God and people who are not even close and mediates. And because of his work as the priest, we are reconciled to God. But he's not only a priest and he's not only a prophet, he's also a king. I'll bet if you read the Revelation, it would be less confusing than you think it would be. Especially as you read the hymns. And there are a lot of hymns in Revelation. Especially as you read the description of Christ. And as you're reading it, I'll bet if someone said, what's the picture of Jesus in the Revelation? You would say, king. See, Jesus of Nazareth was absolutely a prophet, but he was not just a prophet. He was also a priest and a king. And he has not put his crown on yet. And therefore, we're still in the presence of sin and of death. But his redemption, his work, was so much more profound than they realized, which is what he spoke to Cleopas about. He explains the story. So Cleopas says they expected Jesus to restore the nation state of Israel. I think this would have been easier to preach in 1930, what I'm about to say. But theologically, it's important to understand that Jesus did not restore the nation state of Israel because he became a more pure and full Israel. If Israel's design is, the the idea of it, as stated by God, is to draw people into the with God life and teach them about peace with him and about what that looks like, and anyone can be engrafted into that through faith in him. It's John chapter 15. I am the vine, that's the embodiment of the nation. Anyone who abides in me, who learns to trust Christ with their heart and with their decision, is engrafted into that. It doesn't mean the nation of Israel doesn't matter. That's not what I'm talking about. It does mean that anyone can come to faith regardless of where you live. Anyone can come to faith regardless of where you come from. Through trusting in Jesus, we are engrafted into the true vine. We abide in him and receive joy. Guidance. What that means is the story is now all who hear. This was true before Jesus, but so much more explicitly true after him. All who hear and believe and receive by faith Jesus and trust in him and follow, receive the real life that he described and are engrafted into the true vine. That's part of the story that he was explaining to Cleopas on the way. And the second thing he was explaining is this pattern we see in Scripture. And it's both a large pattern of the whole of Scripture and it's a small pattern that happens over and over and over. Happens in the book of Exodus at least three times. And that is that God creates 
He calls it good. He loves and gives freedom. Either one without the other probably means we're not actually having love and freedom. And what do we do with our love and freedom over and over and over again? We decide we know better than him. And we turn away. And he allows us to experience that because he loves us truly, which means no coercion. And he's given us freedom. And then he rescues and recreates. That's both a large story of Scripture and a small story that we see repeated over and over and over again until the life of Christ. Creation, fall, redemption, and recreation. When I was in seminary, we had a two-part class, Covenant Theology, fall and in the spring. And it's devoted to studying the Scriptures in light of Jesus explaining all of Scriptures and how they point to Him right from this chapter. And what we saw over and over and over again is God creates and gives freedom and love. We turn away from him because we think we know better. And he rescues. That's the story of scripture. It's the big story. It's repeated over and over and over again in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, it's fulfilled in Christ. And will be perfectly fulfilled in history when he returns. What Jesus is telling Cleopas is, you know these... Old Testament ideas of steadfast love and pursuing love, God's chesed, that's me. I'm the embodiment of pursuing love. I'm the eternal God. John 10.30, he says, I and the Father are one. Head explodes, especially if you're a first century listener. Yahweh is Jesus. Jesus embodies perfectly the steadfast love of God that will never leave or forsake us. Jesus walks with his friends who don't recognize him as he explains the story. And you remember how I said that faith is in many ways simple and is in many ways not simple? So I believe Jesus talked about his role as prophet and priest and king. I believe he talked about the grand story of scripture about himself. And then what does he do? He allows them to see that he is Jesus, their friend, and he breaks bread, reminding them of any number of things. Perhaps the feeding of the 5,000, perhaps the feeding of the 4,000, perhaps a statement in the book of John, I am the bread of life. And I want to distill this a little bit. What he was reminding them of is he's for them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the description of the Lord's Supper. This is the body of Christ, which is for you. Faith is complex in all of its ramifications especially in light of our limitations. And then it's simple. We look at the way Jesus talked to people and then his incredible power and what he did on the cross and in the resurrection and then how he gently explained to his people who he was and is and will be on the road to Emmaus. And we remember perhaps some of these large story things, but especially that he's for us. Jesus breaks the bread and they recall one of his miracles or one of his teachings and then they immediately forget it because he vanishes. What was that like? (gasps) It's Jesus. Where'd he go? And this happens. We'll see this again and again. The resurrection narratives are, are very interesting with respect to this. Faith is simple in the sense that it's love God and love neighbor. And it's not simple in terms of integration Notice what they say after Jesus vanishes. Did not our hearts burn within us 
you're a follower of Jesus, I hope that you have had this experience, perhaps like the one Rich described earlier. Perhaps it was in corporate worship. Perhaps it was individual. That's the integration of your faith. See, in talking about this, I'm both teaching the text, also hoping that you have an experience like this, but not because I care about the experiences. Experiences can often be a big distraction to us later, but experiences along the way show us the integration of our body and our mind and our belief and our faith and our past and our present and our limitations. Some of you already have in your calendars time set aside to spend with the Lord. And I know this sounds so typical, Christian. Hear me out. In that time, ask the Lord that your heart would burn either like it did in the past or perhaps for the first time. Because that's when we sense the joy that Christ has purchased for us. That's when obedience doesn't sound like a bad word, but something joyful. That's when prayer is restful to our hearts and not a spiritual checklist. And that's when the work of our hands and our money and our mouth is a joyful offering back to the Lord and not some religious move that we take hoping that He accepts us. He accepts us because of the work of Christ. And then we trust and we follow. The good news of Jesus is that the entire Old Testament is fulfilled in Him, which means that God loves us because He has mediated between God and us. We receive that by faith and we ask for the Holy Spirit until He's going to come back, which would be the best way to end the sermon. Nope. Okay. I mean that. Gosh, that'd be so much more fun. Even I mean, I'm excited about singing the last song. But it'd be more fun to sing with Him. In between, we ask that our hearts would burn within us because that's us maturing through integration. That's us receiving the joy that has been purchased for us and learning to live in light of it. Jesus is for you. He proved that. Purchasing righteousness, joy, and peace for us, which is how we live out the freedom God gives us in light of his love. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we believe. And we long to believe in ways that our senses pick up on. We long to experience, though we will not experience every day the same way, your Holy Spirit's presence because of the bentness of the world. And yet we long to understand and to believe more deeply that we might be grasped by your love and kindness towards us revealed in Christ given by the Holy Spirit. Father, as we sing, would you give us a sense of your great affection and the fact that you are for us. Amen.